0: It's time to hear about George's Christmas vacation.
1: The long-awaited trip across the pond. For years, we've talked about this. You guys have been to Europe a number of times. I never have, and more importantly, my wife has never been. Now, I've been overseas before with you guys. We went over with the Cowboys in 2014, and we worked, but we also tried to work in as much sightseeing as we could, and you guys were... Uh, pretty familiar with London and some of the sites. That may be the greatest ticket trip ever for me, anyway. It was awesome. The fact that uh, we got to go and see s- some of those incredible places uh, across the pond and do the show from Talk Sport, and we talked to our friends at Talk Sport. We went to a soccer
0: game. We went to yeah. Abbey Road. We saw a show at uh, Albert Hall. That's
1: right. We went to Albert Hall. We had a great time. We had a terrific time. So. The entire time when we were there in 2014, I thought, man, my wife would love this. We've talked about a trip overseas, and we've never taken it. And the best reason I can come up with is we were very young parents. Um, Money was certainly a factor of being able to afford something like this. And then once you have young kids, I mean, you're kind of in that boat right now. Could you imagine taking the 10-hour flight right now? I don't not, know. Maybe not with the
0: two-year-old. Yeah, maybe <laughs>
1: when she's a little older. Yeah, when she's a little older. Yeah, I don't know what that age is. I I still think that's difficult. You know, when they're seven or eight, and it, it's a long trip. Um, but anyway, and and we've never taken, we took some inventory and realized, you know, we've never taken a trip longer than two days without our kids, even since we've been empty nesters. And that's our fault that we haven't done that, especially since we've been empty nesters. But anyway, we've been planning this trip for a long time to go to England. And what got it started was my friend's daughter got engaged and she got engaged to a Brit and they are going to live in uh, just outside of London. And so the wedding was going to be just outside of London They invited us to the wedding, and we said, well, let's make that the start of our vacation to see England and maybe some other spots, too. We talked about maybe going to France or Ireland. After watching the U2 documentary, I really wanted to go to Dublin. But in talking to some people, they said that that's somewhat difficult to go from London. It's it's like its own trip. It's, It's better if you do that in its own trip. So we set out the plan to go to London to the wedding, which was just outside of London, make a pilgrimage to Liverpool, just because I'm such a big Beatles fan, and then go up to Scotland. She's always wanted to see Scotland. So here we go, December 7th, we take the flight to London, and we were able to get our airline tickets on points, which was a key, because I'm pretty cheap, and I don't know if I would have sprung for this anyway, but we sprung for business class and the pod, which was awesome good choice yeah when the three of us flew over there I didn't think it was that bad because we were on such a big plane and we had room behind that bulkhead I, th- I thought that was fine too
0: yeah I think we got into what was that? coach plus or whatever they call it okay it wasn't standard coach but it wasn't business class it was you
1: had a little more leg room yeah I think as I looked behind me and I can't totally confirm this I think the whole plane was pods wow that we flew on at least I don't know, 80% of it was, but, man, that's the way to go. And by a pod, I mean you have your your chair that you sit down in, but you have the ability to basically make it into a bed. And as we left Dallas-Fort Worth at 4.30, we're flying overnight, about a 9, 10-hour flight, and um, you're able to, to lay down, you're able to watch TV, and that made for a much easier trip over there. And uh, so we get into London, Uh, London time, it's about seven o'clock in the morning. So it's time to, you know, start your day. So we checked into our hotel and we were told just power through. Don't act like you're on American time, which is six hours behind where we are right now. Just keep powering through your day. So we did. And thanks to my experience on the tube with you dudes, I knew kind of how to get us. We were in central London at our hotel, and I got us down to the Parliament, Big Ben area. And we just walked around there and saw Buckingham Palace. And it was cool because I could see with her seeing those things for the first time. It just seems Mm -hmm. like, how am I seeing this? Something that's been here for centuries, something I've seen in movies and TV, uh, for years and years, and now I'm looking right at Big Ben or Parliament and these beautiful golden gates and the architecture, and knowing that that's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. As one of our guides told us, in America, you think a hundred years is a long time. In Britain, we think a hundred miles is a long way. And mm-hmm. I said, Yeah, that's <laughs> that's pretty accurate. I drive almost a hundred miles round trip every day and don't think too much of it. And I do think hundred years is a long time ago, let alone what uh, five or six hundred years old is. And that's what um, going to the next day. If we powered our way through and we made it till about seven o'clock or so, and then we just crashed, and that was the end of our day. And then Saturday in London, we went to, I think, the most beautiful building I've ever been in. We didn't go to St Paul's Cathedral when we were there in 2014, did we? No. Have you ever been there? I have. It's amazing, and there's an audio tour that you can take that we took and had the headphones on and learned about the, the different uh, areas and how the fact that the the first time they built something on that ground, it was like the 1100s, and then with fires and war, they had to rebuild it. But this has been there since the 1600s, and it's the most beautiful place I've ever seen, Yeah, the architecture, the detail, the... Uh, the, the painted ceilings that have been there for 300 years now. and I, we, we sat in there for about an hour and you know listened to the headphone tour, but eventually just took the headphones off and just looked around. It was really spiritual. it was just it was gorgeous and I, that's one of the the favorite my most favorite things to ever do on vacation, just sitting there in St. Paul's Cathedral and taking it all in. And that was when I was first exposed to the relationship between Americans and Brits. Because in St. Paul's Cathedral, it is kind of wild that in some of these churches, and I saw some other cathedrals we went through, there's a lot of war memorials. And that's about all England did from about the 1300s and 1900s, Mm -hmm. is have wars and battles. And, man, they were constantly fighting someone. But since World War II we've had this such a special relationship with Britain and in St Paul's Cathedral in the North End there is a a monument to the 28,000 American lives that were lost defending England and if Pearl Harbor doesn't happen we don't join World War II I don't know what happens to England I don't know what happens in Europe it's probably not good but that beautiful and I'll tweet it out, I'll tweet a picture of it out, uh, because they did allow you to take pictures in there. It was absolutely gorgeous, and it was really moving to see that. And they have a this huge, ornate book that has every name of every American that was lost in the war uh, defending England. And later we took a cab ride, and he asked where we were from, and I said, oh, America, where? We're from Texas. And I, you just never know what sort of reaction you're right. going to get. You know, I'm from America. And I said, I, I don't know what you think of us, but, uh, you know, we're just glad to be here and everything. He said, hey, mate, never apologize for being an American. You are so appreciated over here, and we owe you until the end of time. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was really cool uh, to hear that from a cab driver. So anyway, we went around St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, we met our friends on Sunday, saw the natural... Museum of History, and then we went outside of London uh, the next day on Monday. We had the rehearsal dinner on Monday. The wedding was Tuesday. It was absolutely beautiful. Congratulations to Brooke and James, who uh, got married on the 12th of December and this estate in this town called Gosfield. This was built in the 1700s. And real quick, back to something that was built in the 1600s. We we marvel at the pyramids as we should. How did they build churches and cathedrals like that back in the 1600s? I know. Without cranes and
2: the modern tools that, that we have now? How
1: did they do that?
2: While everyone else is just living in huts what? and just shanties all around it. And there's this beautiful building right yeah. in the middle of it.
1: And I guess that helped. Uh, the riches certainly helped. Um, but was the they, countryside
0: beautiful? Oh, yeah.
1: And they were on this estate that was hundreds of acres, and it was an estate that was built in the late 1600s. And it was a small wedding. I think there were 50 to 70 people there, but we all stayed in this estate, this old estate. That's great. That was 300 years old, and they got married in this really ornate room. A friend of ours played piano, and uh, it was just an awesome, awesome time there. And I was really happy for my friend who was... Uh, Dr. Thunder, who plays in the Bird Dogs, who was really happy. It's good to see your friends happy when their kids get married. And then we're off to Liverpool. And I'll tell more about this in Musical Musers uh, next Tuesday. That was a very spiritual pilgrimage to go to the birthplace of the Beatles. And I'll tell you about the Casbah Coffee Club next Tuesday, which is basically a basement where they played. But we went to the Cavern Club. We've all heard of the Cavern Club. Mm -hmm. The actual one they played in back in the early 60s was torn down and closed in 1971. They've opened it back up on Matthew Street, and it's like 30 feet away from where it used to be. Same structure, same type of building, but it's not the exact one. But we went down into the basements, two flights of uh, stairs down, and there was a guy there playing acoustically. I don't know his name. He looked a little bit like Paul. He sung with oh. a Liverpool accent. Oh. <laughs> and man, we listened to this guy for an hour and a half, and he was great. Here's him doing, I think, my favorite Beatles song, a George song, something. And it'll give you a little taste of what it's like to be in the Cavern Club. No. Forget that night being in the cavern, not the original one, about 30 uh, feet away from where the original stage was. But they've, they've made it you uh, can bring it down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> they've made it look just like the old place with the same painting on the stage and everything. And people That's were great. singing along, it was awesome. The Casbah was even better, and I'll tell you about that on Tuesday. And then we went up to Scotland and um, we stayed in Edinburgh. We saw the Edinburgh Castle, which was again That's cool. How did they build that back in the 1300s? And they've added on to it and in the 1600s and the 17 and 1800s. Did you walk the Royal—is it the Royal Mile? The Royal there, Mile from the 100. castle on down. That's right. You and your dad went there. Yeah. I thought about y'all when I was there. And the next day. The course was closed, but we went to St. Andrews. I saw a picture of you swinging an umbrella <laughs> I instead didn't have of a club. golf club. <laughs> but it yeah. looked great. You couldn't hit any shots. They were very clear about that. You couldn't hit any shots. And uh, our, our guide that day told us that while it is the most prestigious of the old, you know, it's the old course, has been there since the beginning of time, basically. And while you can't play golf, you can picnic, you can walk your dog, and you can even do your laundry what on the grounds of St. Andrews. And he said he has seen people out there doing their wash and putting two stakes in the ground and drying it like on one fairway before. I'm insane now. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I didn't have a club, so I uh, I put an umbrella down and looked down the first fairway. I think I could tear that course up. I really do. Was so that?
2: I, I think I went to St. Andrews and Carnoustie. Which one is the one with the stone bridge, that little stone that's bridge? That's St. Andrews.
1: I got my okay. picture taken on the same bridge there on 18. Being a big golfer
0: like you are a big Beatles fan, was that as emotional going to the home of it golf? It was
1: really cool. Yeah, it was. Or
2: were you looking around going,
1: wow, No, no, it no. <laughs> it was beautiful. And it was, uh, and you know, 1 and 18 are pretty flat, but then I looked at the rest of the course. Wow. All sorts of berms and hills and i was joking when i said i could tear that course up because i think holes two through 17 17 i don't know how you don't hit the hotel on the road hill um the guy who drove us out there said yeah every time i play it i put one through a window (laughs) and uh that that was really cool seeing saint andrews in person going up that coast of scotland and seeing churches again that have been there since the 1400s or 1500s are still there and still used they don't throw things away in europe no they don't tear things down they keep using them i think we can learn a lesson there i feel like i've told you about a fourth and i've probably already bored you to tears say feel free to spend five other segments (laughs) you know next week or whenever, because i love hearing this there's little bits and pieces here and there our guide was from the rick steve's uh Group? Oh. Was he really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did he give you some fantasy yeah. football tips? No, he didn't have any fantasy uh, football tips. But when they said that they were from that school, I, I did crack up and think of Junior. Uh, but no, it really was the trip of a lifetime. Um, you can see that by the uh, the total, uh, the sum total of what this trip cost. But. Uh, um, <laughs> But it's it was great. worth it. Yeah, it was worth it. I'm glad we finally did it.
0: Yes, I am, too. I'm glad you're expanding your travel horizons. There's just so much out there to, to see and experience. No doubt. It sounds like you had a great one. And don't forget, next Tuesday, Musical Musers, George is hosting with more details about the trip to Liverpool
1: and the uh, place where the Beatles the Cos- were born. The, the Casbah Coffee club which
2: i bet gordo doesn't know too much about no i don't okay you're gonna have to educate me okay cool that's awesome that they kept it that Uh, way and
1: yeah and it's um i I think the city government helps them you know it's a landmark now that you can go visit and as he said this time of year the off time in november and december it may be just you and your family that gets the tour and the summer, as you heard him say, thirty or forty people um, <laughs> could take the tour. But we just got this, and it was, it was such a pilgrimage. Oh yeah. yeah! Could you just imagine that? I love that picture of them squeezed in there. John leaning up against the wall, and Paul looking down on what eventually is going to be John's wife, Cynthia. It was awesome. the The, the whole city of Liverpool, uh, the statues of the Beatles. The cavern, the new cavern club that we went down to, their, their legend is very much alive. In Liverpool, and oh, especially a,
2: at the Casbah call. That's a great story. Oh, I'm so glad you did that. I could so listen fun. to that
1: guy talk for
0: hours. That, I know. It's so hypnotic.
2: And George slipping it. into his fake British with it. He had to mind your head several yeah. times. Well, okay. I know. You started I off American. <laughs> you had to you watch your head. Uh, mind, your well, head. Mind,
1: mind your head. Mind your head. He's actually related to the, the Best family, as in Pete Best, Hmm. the first drummer for the Beatles and I said okay and he called me later that day and he said call this number and I did and I talked to a guy with a really thick Liverpool accent and he said yeah I'll meet you there at noon and he gave us the address and we pull up and the Casbah Coffee Club is a house and it's the house that belonged to the best family hmm Best parents, John and Mona, they met in India when John was there on military service. They then moved back to Liverpool. They started having kids. They had Pete, they had Rory, and they later had Vincent, also known as Rogue. We'll come back to him in a second. So they lived in this small house, and then Mona wanted a bigger house because the family was growing. And she apparently was a character and she said, I want this house on Queens Road and it's got like 10 bedrooms and it's this big home. And he said, well, we can't afford that. And she had some family wealth in jewelry and she took that jewelry, she pawned it and she bet it on a horse called Never Say Die and it won at 33 to 1 odds. (laughs) And she then went to her husband, John Best, and said, we have the money, let's buy this house. And so they did. And their kids grew up in it. And Pete and Rory started to get to their teenage years. And kids started coming over and hanging out. And they would listen to records and, you know, make a racket. This is late 50s. Rock and roll is just being born in the United States. And these kids kept hanging around. Uh, hanging around, And so Mona had the idea. Well, you guys like sitting around listening to music. Why not? do that down in the basement, we have a cellar of our home and start hanging out down there and then she had the idea of because Pete started playing drums he played guitar for a little bit then started playing drums why don't we make money out of this we'll sell memberships and we'll make it the first teenage rock club in Liverpool there were Hmm. no rock clubs at all in Liverpool but rock was starting to uh, build up some momentum And so they had this idea, and then Mona said, well, we've got to get a a house band. We've got to get a band that we can depend on when we're not playing records. Who are we going to get? And he said, well, I know this guy named Ken Brown, and he knows some guys, and I think they have a band called The Quarrymen. And so Mona met with Ken Brown, Stuart Sutcliffe, some guy named John Lennon, who also knew Paul McCartney, and they also had a friend named George Harrison, and it reminded me of when i was in bands in high school we never really had gigs but we played the you know played music together and we played like the school talent show just like these guys had played i think outside of church together and so they just kind of claimed to have a band just like a lot of us did in high school yeah we got a band um, we're the quarrymen <laughs> so she said all right that's good enough and She started selling memberships and then put out posters around town. The Quarrymen are going to start playing. The Casbah Coffee Club, and you could go there, you get coffee, sodas. They didn't sell alcohol, of course. Didn't allow you in if you're under 16. And that's where John, Paul, and George, along with Stuart Sutcliffe, sometimes Ken Brown, sometimes not, played together for the first time. I just tweeted out a picture of the house, me and a guy named Rogue that we're about to hear from uh, because we got a tour of this place and it was just my wife and I that got the tour of the Casbah Coffee Club which is the basement of this house and it's been left just like it was when it opened in 1959
2: and stayed open until 1962. And from what I understand those guys painted the walls like Paul yes. and John and those yes. guys painted the walls including Cynthia who I don't think was John's wife at the time she painted no. like a silhouette of him on the wall. Yeah. And I, and, I'll and get it's still there?
1: Still there. It's just as it was what I what I put out is the house. I put a picture of the exterior picture of me and Rogue where it says Casbah Coffee Club. And then bottom right that is the first stage at the Casbah. Look how small wow. that is. I mean it's you got room for maybe three people maybe four and that's what they had. Pete Best was not playing drums yet as Paul said at the time we'll just keep rhythm with our guitars. We don't have a drummer. <laughs> and so they played without a drummer. Bottom left, you see that picture. And speaking of Cynthia Powell, look at the eye she's giving Paul as he looks down at her with John in the background trying to figure out a chord. Apparently she had eyes for Paul first and then became John's girlfriend and they later got married. And yes, Gordo, I'll show you the picture. I'll put it out on X. of uh, She painted that silhouette of John which is in the refreshment room and I'm telling you y'all this basement it's about they had to eventually knock out walls so they'd have more room than just that little closet for a stage so people would sit in there and watch like a bench on each side so you could fit maybe eight people in there 10? But our our guide tells me the first night they opened, they had over 200 kids down
2: there. Okay.
1: But that's not the only room. There's, like, rooms okay. that adjoin it. Okay. But still.
2: They could hear. They, they could see They could hear.
1: Them. They couldn't see them in person. Wow. They had to knock out another wall. They built another stage. And then they could fit more people in there. But there was an instant success. They didn't have PA. They didn't have drums uh, at first. And then they added PA, and Mona started buying the Beatles equipment. They went by the Quarrymen, then they went by the Silver Beatles. Stu Sutcliffe is the one who had the idea of, like, um, uh, the Crickets who backed up Buddy Holly. Yeah, That's where he got the idea for Beatles, and they were the Silver Beatles. So, they had some squabbles with Mona about money and this and that, and they felt like they were getting a little better and a little bigger. They needed to play bigger places. So, and I think it was 60... Paul, George, John, Stu, and Pete. Now they added Pete to the act, and they went to Hamburg, Germany. And you've heard that story before. That's where they put in their 10,000 hours. Mm-hmm. And um, they played strip clubs. They played these nightclubs in Hamburg. But sometimes they would play for eight hours a night. And that's why they got so good. Mm-hmm. So when they played first at the Casbah, it was kind of like your high school band. John was 19, George was 16, Paul was 17, Pete was 18. They're all teenagers, kind of faking their way through it. Uh, yeah, I guess we got a band. We only have a PA system. Stu was the bass player, the original bass player. And it was Mona who he bought... couldn't play. He sucked. He, he was bad, <laughs> yeah. But it was Mona, the mom who bought him his first Hoffner. Mm-hmm. So off they go to Hamburg and... One thing leads to another, and they end up getting kicked out because George is underage. He's only 16. They got into some trouble with a a club owner, and they all came back except except Stu. He stayed there in Hamburg. They came back. Mona said, well, do you want to play the Casbah again? And they're like, well, yeah, I guess. And so she promoted it around town after a tour of Germany. Come see the Beatles at the Casbah Club. So according to our guide, Rogue Best, he said there Pete's brother
2: give this is, is
1: this is Pete's now nephew. This is Pete's brother's son who gave okay. us the tour. This is uh Pete Best's nephew. He says there are over a thousand kids lined up in the backyard, crammed into the basement, and they said the Beatles are this is the same group that this is Pete who used to play with the band, and this is the same bunch, but now they had equipment, and they just blew everybody away. And they played a couple of shows, and Mona
2: then knew... They'd also gotten so much better because of Hamburg. And they're good,
1: yeah, and they're good. They have originals, and they do these Elvis songs and Buddy Holly songs really well. And then she started thinking, they can't play here anymore. And so she contacts the cavern, and she had to talk their way into them because... They don't allow rock acts. And she said, They're a
2: jazz only club or something. Jazz only.
1: And she said, Trust me, just let them play. And they did. And again, kids lined up down the street. And that's where Beatlemania, night after night. night, That's where Brian Epstein saw them and and off they go. So the story from the Best family is because I've, the story you all have heard, why did Ringo become the dreamer, uh, the dreamer, the drummer for Pete Best? I always heard because he was the best drummer in Liverpool. And the Beatles wanted to move up a notch.
2: I always heard that when they went in to play for George Martin, Pete Best was playing with them. And he said, you know, good, but that drummer can't keep time. you got to have a different drummer.
1: Yeah. And that's the best side of the family. Uh, Their side of the story from their family is similar to that. But when Epstein took him to EMI the first time, they said that we're going to have to use our session drummer. And the Beatles like, okay. And so they did. So Love Me Do, there are three different versions. There's a Pete Best version. There is a session drummer. And then when they brought in Ringo. Epstein thought, we need a new drummer. If they're telling me that, we Mm -hmm. need a new drummer. So he goes to Pete Best and says... The lads don't want you in the band anymore. The guy who supplied the basement, his mom's bought instruments. (laughs) They've all been hanging out at the best house. And now they tell him, uh, we're going to go with Ringo Starr. And then they take Ringo in and they tell Ringo the same thing. Uh, That's that's cool, kid, but we're going to use our session drummer. So then they all kind of realize, oh, crap. I don't know if we have to. That's the best side of the Mm -hmm. family, their side of the story. So off go the Beatles without Pete Best. And I talked to Rogue about this. And I said, you know, I've never heard a lot of bitterness from your family about this. And he said, well, my uncle always said, everyone wants fame and fortune. I got a pretty good fortune, but I didn't have to deal with the traps of fame. Mm -hmm. And he's done really well. He's made a lot of money. When the anthology came out, he received... More and more mailbox money. Pete Best has done fine. It had to drive him a little crazy as they're meeting kings and queens and being knighted and playing the Ed Sullivan show. And particularly when he
2: was younger, it had to eat him up more. Now that he's an old guy and and he's able to look back, he goes, eh, I I got to avoid a a huge headache.
0: How did he get in on that money?
2: Yeah,
1: how did he make money out of it? Back then, he signed that contract, that, I guess, original contract that uh, they recorded, and he got in on that. And I guess Epstein, you know, let him, because I think there's 11 recordings with him playing drums, hmm. and somehow, yeah, he was in on that, the way it worked back then. So here is uh, Vincent Best, the nephew of Pete Best, after he gave us this amazing tour, just the two of us, in what is a much slower time.
3: Oh, it's daily, yes. I the season, sort of. End of February till sort of late October, it's pretty much all day, every day on the hour. Yes. Yeah. like when you get people like yourselves, where it's a bit out of season, it's nice because you know, instead of there being 30, 40, 50 people on a tour, there's two, four, six. It's a bit more personable. It's like you get your own little private tour when you're out of season. What language is he speaking? A wow. third,
1: a thicker accent. I think he spent some time in. Uh, scotland too mm-hmm. so it's like a liverpool ah. scotland scottish accent <laughs> it's really thick but he's the nicest guy in the whole world and yeah here's a little bit more well uh, your tour was great and as i told you i've never sensed any sort of bitterness from your uncle or your family and as you were telling me he may not have had the fame but he was very successful and okay. in what he did and the the songs that he recorded with the band
2: oh yeah yeah
1: well
3: As I said, it's information. as we were talking about earlier, you know, information levels now and then were totally different. People didn't really understand, you know, session musicians and royalties and PRS and stuff like that. So, you know, he still got all his money for recording songs with them and when they played on the radio and stuff and then as I said they do the anthology, gets millions again. Like he ended up as a very, very wealthy man. You know, he, he did okay. He did okay for himself, yeah. And I guess
1: the most amazing thing crawling through, crawling through, or walking through, but <laughs> yeah. it, you had to watch your head, mind your head a <laughs> yeah. couple of times, is that in that little basement underneath this estate, you there, there were 1,200 people sometimes
3: down oh, there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, ridiculous. No health and safety laws, no fire <laughs> regulations. and A club for teenagers, so they're smaller than adults. You squeeze a lot more of them in, can't you? <laughs> but, no, it, it must have been madness. People literally used to pass out down there. You'd get sort of, like, passed out over people's heads and stuff out of the club.
1: Maybe that's where crowd surfing started. <laughs> yeah, maybe,
3: maybe. <laughs> but did they bring them to on the grass? Give them, like, a glass of water? And then they'd be trying to squeeze back in the club Having just passed out in there. like Absolute madness. You just wouldn't get away with it now, would you? Yeah. No, I don't think so. The safety part of that. He was awesome.
1: He was so kind. and I'll tweet out some more of the pictures and I'll show you guys up here in the studio. The ceilings that John painted, that Paul painted, that rainbow over the stage, mm-hmm. the original stage. Paul painted that. George painted the rest of the basement kind of an orange. And it's just as it was in 1962.
2: That's awesome that they kept it that wow. way. And
1: yeah, and it's um, I, I think the city government helps them. You know, It's a landmark yeah, it's, now yeah. that you can go visit. And as he said, this time of year, the off time in November and December, it may be just you and your family that gets the tour. And the summer, as you heard him say, 30 or 40 people <laughs> um, could take the tour. But we just got this – and it was – it was such a pilgrimage. Oh this is yeah. yeah! Could you just imagine that? I love that picture of them squeezed in there. John leaning up against the wall, and Paul looking down on what eventually is going to be John's wife, Cynthia. It was awesome. the The, the whole city of Liverpool, uh, the statues of the Beatles, the cavern, the new cavern club that we went down to. Their their legend is very much alive in liverpool oh, and especially
2: a, at the casbah that's a great story i'm oh, so gosh. glad you did that i it could listen so to that
1: guy talk
0: for hours <laughs> <laughs> i know it's so <laughs> hypnotic
2: <laughs> <laughs> and george Look, slipping into his fake british with it he had to mind your head so yeah times well, okay you started I off american to... <laughs> you had to you watch your head, uh, mind, your yeah, head. Mind, mind your head mind your head